today we are in Acts chapter 2 once again, and we're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. Please follow along as I read. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in breaking of bread and in prayers. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Lord, as we come together now this morning... And turn our attention to your word. Lord, we're we're so thankful that you have given us your word to teach us, to instruct us, to reveal to us your heart, to reveal to us the, the very things that you are desiring to do in transforming us to make us more like Jesus. So I pray, God, as we look at your word now, as we study it, that you would do something in our hearts today that would be lasting. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name, amen. Here at Calvary Vista, every few months, we have what we call our Magnify Nights. It's a night that is devoted solely to the worship of God responding in worship to who God is. How many of you have been to one of our Magnify Nights before? I mean, they're so special. And I encourage you, if you haven't been, um, to come. Our next one is going to be on Thanksgiving Eve. And it's there that we you know, are going to hear some wonderful testimonies, some God stories, and respond, spend the night responding to those in worship. David declared in Psalm 34, verse 3, O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Magnify. You know, there are two kinds of magnifying. There's microscope magnifying and telescope magnifying. A microscope makes a small thing look bigger than it is, whereas a telescope makes a big thing begin to look as big as it really is. So when David invites us to magnify the Lord with him, he does not mean, I will make a small God look bigger than he is. No, he means, I will make God look as big as he really is. And I think the mission of the Christian life could be summed up in this way. To live act and respond in such a way that that will make Jesus look as great and as wonderful and as awesome as he really is. That our calling as believers is to be a telescope for the world of the infinite wealth and glory of Jesus Christ. This past week I was up in Monterey 
at a gathering of uh, Calvary. It was a leaders meeting for our Calvary network of churches. And at Calvary Monterey, their theme, Nate Holdridge is the pastor there, dear friend, and, and uh, their theme is to make Jesus famous. And that's what the early church is doing here in the book of Acts, making Jesus famous, magnifying to themselves and to the rest of the world the greatness of Jesus, and it was being played out in what they were devoting themselves to. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, this is week five, we've sort of camped out here in Acts 2, 42 through 47 in looking at what the early church was devoting themselves to. In fact, if you look at verse 42 again, it says, and they continued steadfastly, and we've noted that that literally means, and they devoted themselves to. And it mentions six things in the text that the early church was devoting themselves to, and we started with where it mentions the apostles' teaching, the doctrine, that they were devoting themselves to the teaching of the Word of God. And then it mentions fellowship, and the idea there is the building of community as they were sharing meals together and sharing their lives together with one another. And then we looked at the third thing, which was communion. We actually looked at that last week, that they were devoting themselves to remembering the cross on a daily basis. And they were devoting devoting themselves to prayer, that, that dependency upon, of their lives upon the Lord was marked by the dependence and the, 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 the amount of time that they spent in praying. And then it says that they devoted themselves to worship, to the praising of God. And that's what we're going to focus on today. And then last week, we'll finish this, or next week, we'll finish this up in looking at how they devoted themselves to telling others about Jesus. But it was these six things that they devoted themselves to that really shaped the early church. That their devotion uh, to these six things was really the cusp of their spiritual formation. But it's also what made them, what made them attractive to the world that was around them. You see, you had all these Jewish people in Jerusalem who had grown tired of the religious ritual of Judaism. You had all these Jewish people who had become disillusioned by the hypocrisy of the religious leaders there in Israel, and now they're suddenly coming in contact with all these people who have just met Jesus, who have just given their lives to Jesus, and immediately there was a sense in their heart, they have something that I don't have, and I want it. And so the church, as we read, was growing daily. Those that were being saved. I mean, you could say evangelism for them was kind of easy because people were noting that there was something different about them and they would come and say, what is it? I want it. And it was that simple and people were just coming to Christ in droves. Well, today we're going to focus on this fifth thing that the early church was devoted to, that, and that was the worshiping of Jesus and the praising of God. I want to read verse 46 again, but this time in the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen, so follow along. Uh, you can look at it as I read. It says, They worshiped together at the temple each day and met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all 
the people. Note that. They were worshiping each day, giving praise to God. So here's the question. What is worship? Put simply, worship is declaring the greatness of someone or something. You know, it's been said that worship is not a religious thing. It is a human thing. You realize that? I mean, everyone is a worshiper. It's not like a person becomes a follower of Jesus and suddenly they become a worshiper. People worship all sorts of things every single day. I mean, people worship athletes and rock stars and actors. I mean, every yell of devotion and every round of applause and every cry for an encore is an act of worship. It's showing appreciation for the greatness of someone or something. But when it comes to the worship of God, that is worship in its highest form. That is worship in its greatest expression. And the word that is used the most often in the Old Testament for the word worship is the word shakah. Everybody say shakah. The word shakah means to bow down, to bow down in reverence, to bow down in order to lift up. And so it's the humbling of myself in order to acknowledge that there's someone greater than me. So when I'm bowing down before God, I'm declaring that you, Lord, are greater than I am. It's, it's declaring I submit to you, I yield to you, that Jesus, you are the king. So worship in its purest form is declaring the greatness and the majesty of King Jesus. Now, Jewish worship was very expressive. You could say that Jewish worship was a full body experience because they did it with their singing. They did it with their clapping of hands. They did it with all of their instruments that they used and and they were into making loud noises. They did it with shouting and even dancing. Their worship was loud and exuberant. And no doubt that carried over into the worship that was happening in the early church. You see, it was a part of who they were. So for the rest of our time this morning, I I want us to see what we can learn from the early church, from how they worshiped. And there's four things that I want us to take note of, if you're taking notes, four takeaways. Number one is that their worship was responsive. You see, Jesus was doing this incredible thing in their midst, and the natural reaction for them, of the, for them was to praise him for it. I mean, their lives were being changed. They were experiencing this sense of awe by what God was doing and bringing them all together. And there was, just a, there was a response. It was just coming out of them. It was C.S. Lewis who declared in his reflections on the Psalms, enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. I think we delight to praise when we enjoy what we enjoy because praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's the appointed consumption. In other words, it's just the natural overflow of something that you are enjoying and it's the natural overflow or outflow when you are enjoying God. You know, we just celebrated Veterans Day, showing honor to those who have 
fought for the freedom that we have in our country. In fact, can we give it up right now for all of our veterans in active service? Those of you who have served, we appreciate you. Those of you who are serving, we appreciate you, your service for our country. It's natural for us to give praise to heroic action. I mean, if a group of firefighters are rushing into a burning building and we are there on the scene and they come out with a a life that they have saved, the natural response to that is going to be to yell, to applaud, to cheer because of what we just witnessed was a heroic action. And I want you to know, and it doesn't matter what you're going through, would it? I mean, you might be having the worst day in the world. You might be bummed out and depressed. But in the moment of just seeing, you know, that type of of, of thing happen, that heroic action and saving a life out of a fire, our natural response would be, that was amazing. That's why worship is also described as worth-ship. It's giving worth to something or someone. So I ask you this question. Is there a more heroic act worthy of praise than God sending his only begotten son to this world to rescue doomed humanity? You know, last week we considered how the early church devoted themselves to remembering the cross on a regular basis, and the response to that is worship. It's giving worship to God for the salvation that he has brought us, that he is worthy of our praise, our worship, and our surrender. So their worship was responsive. Responding to their salvation, responding to what God had done, responding to what God was doing in their midst. And you know what? Worship is the response. Responsive worship is the language of heaven. You see, sometimes here on earth, we can question what God is doing, right? We can find ourselves questioning when things don't turn out the way that we thought they were. When something doesn't go the way that maybe we thought it was going to go in our lives, we can find ourselves questioning God, doubting God. When the election doesn't go the way that we were hoping, we can get to a place where we're, our response is, Lord, I don't understand. But here's what's happening right now in heaven. We read in the book of Revelation, it says that the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns, note that, before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. Now note this. The 24 elders, we can say the top dogs in heaven, what are they doing? They're falling down before Jesus. They're casting their crowns, that which speaks of their importance. And they say, we don't need this because you're the one who is important. You are worthy of all praise because we realize that we exist for you. You don't exist for us. All things were made by you and for you. We exist for you. That's what's happening right now in heaven. That's the heart of worship. It's keeping the big picture in perspective. And the big picture is this, that Jesus is the king. That Jesus is on the throne. That we exist for him. And it's not the other way around. 
So heaven is constantly responding to the greatness of Jesus. We see this same group of elders in Revelation chapter 5. It says, and they sang a new song, saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So their worship. The worship in heaven is responsive to who Jesus is. The worship of the early church was responsive. And you know, it was also contagious. True worship is contagious. From 1996 to the better half of 1991, before I went and planted a church in Oregon, I I served here as a, a high school pastor. And we used to meet on Wednesday nights before we moved over to the AVO because things were just growing like crazy. But we met on the other side of that wall for our, our Bible study and time together where the youth are meeting this morning. And it was interesting because this happened on a regular basis in our gatherings on Wednesday night. Is we'd have people coming, kids coming from the various high schools around here who you know, weren't saved and their parents didn't go to church here and, and they would come. And, and it was interesting because our, we had, you know, our time of worship before Bible study and it was real simple, usually just one guy and a guitar, but the kids just had this heart in responding to Jesus. And every single week, almost every week, I'd give an invitation and there would be, you know, one or two or three or maybe five kids that would get saved. And afterwards I would be talking to them and I would ask them this question. I'd say, so, so tell me, what was it that led you tonight to give your heart to Jesus? And I can't tell you how many times they said this. Well, it wasn't anything that you said. <laughs> Which is the last thing a preacher wants to hear, right? You know? They said, you know, it was when you guys were doing that, that worship thing, you know, when everybody was singing. And I'm watching these kids, that, that guy I play football with. I'm watching that, that gal. She's a cheerleader at our school. I'm watching that guy. You know, I go to, and I'm watching them worship. And suddenly as I'm sitting there, I realize they have something that I don't have and I want it. That's what worship does. Somebody comes into a space like this and they see us worshiping the Lord with all of our hearts and it's contagious. It's like they have something. This is real. This is authentic. This is what was happening in the early church. The second thing we want to note is that their worship took precedence in their lives as well as in their gatherings. Turn to Acts chapter 13, if you would. Acts chapter 13. It says, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, and who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered, here's the catchphrase, to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Spirit said to them. No spots are right there. Notice that phrase, they ministered to the Lord. Don't overlook that. Because, see, there is ministry that we do that is for the Lord. 
And the early church was definitely doing that. That that was the church planting that was happening. It was the preaching. It was the serving. It was the taking care of the poor and the needy among them. That was all the ministry that was happening for the Lord. But what took precedence was their ministry to the Lord. And our ministry to the Lord is worship. It's prayer. It's drawing near to him. And I want you to note that as they were ministering to the Lord, that's when the Holy Spirit spoke and said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. And this whole new missions movement sprung out of their ministering to the Lord. You know, sometimes in our lives, we get so focused on and so preoccupied in doing ministry for the Lord that we forget about ministering to the Lord. We see a great example of this that happens in Luke chapter 10. It's when Jesus comes to the house of Mary and Martha. And Mary, as Jesus is in one room with his disciples, and it says that Mary is sitting there at his feet. She is just in that place of ministering to and taking in from him. I mean, she's just wanting to be in his presence. Now, Martha, she's doing ministry for the Lord. She's in the kitchen. She's getting things ready. She's got all these people at her house that she needs to feed and take care of. And what's interesting is the the Bible says there in Luke 10 that Martha was distracted with much serving. You You ever get into that? You ever find yourself in that place, distracted with much serving? And this is what her distraction looked like. First of all, she becomes agitated at her sister. She's thinking to herself, why am I the only one? doing something around here, you know? Where's my sister? How come I'm doing this all by myself? Yeah, you ever find yourself saying things like that, you know, around here, you know? Why why am I doing this all by myself? So first of all, she's agitated at her sister, and then her pre-perception of the Lord is all messed up because she comes running in to where Jesus is giving his Bible study and interrupts him. I want you just to think about that. Let's say somebody from children's ministry comes running in here right now and, and just, I should do this next service just to, you know, <laughs> comes, comes running in and says, Pastor Rob, you know, don't you care? I mean, I'm over there all by myself and no one else is helping me, you know. I mean, how awkward would that be, right? Picture this, Okay. She comes in and she's like, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So her perception of the Lord's all messed up. She's thinking he doesn't care about me. And Jesus looks at her. I think he has a big smile on his face. He says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're stressed out about so many things. But one thing's needed. And Mary has chosen the better part. And it won't be taken away from her. Her priorities were out of whack. And that's what happens when we're not giving precedent to worship, to ministering to the Lord. And we're only wrapped up in ministering for the Lord. It's one of the reasons why at our leaders meetings here at the church, we follow this Acts 2 and Acts 13 model. We begin with a meal every single time. And after our meal, before we start talking about any issues, any business, before we start looking at, you know, budgets and financial statements, we spend time as a group worshiping the Lord. 
bringing our hearts to him in worship and surrender because we believe that it's in that moment, it's in that time that the Holy Spirit's going to speak to us. That's worship that sets our hearts up to hear God speak to us. It's why we align our church gatherings in this same way. Have you ever thought about why do we always start with worship? Is, is it because, you know, worship is the warm-up? No. Is it is because worship, you know, the worship time is, is ma- mainly the filler? We're just waiting for everybody else to get here so that, you know, everybody's here when the sermon is being given? No. It's not that at all. We begin with worship because Jesus is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of it all. And worship gets our heart into the right place to hear the Holy Spirit speak to us from the Word of God. Because, you know, if we're honest, sometimes when we come into this space, our focus is so horizontal, isn't it? It's so on what's been going on in our lives and what's been going on in our world and the problems that we're, you know, facing. And and I'll be honest. I mean, I'll say it. Life is hard. I'm sure some of you had some hard things happen this week in your lives. How many of you had some hard stuff happen? I did. I had some hard stuff happen. Life is hard. Life is difficult. There's always things just being thrown at us. And, and so we, we, we can get so focused on the horizontal. But when we come into this space, part of the, the, the whole purpose of worship is to get our mind and heart off of the horizontal and to get our perspective vertical because that's when we start to see things clearly it's to be reminded that god is bigger and god is greater than all the nonsense that is going on in our world can i get an amen to that We're reminded in worship that Jesus is on the throne, that Jesus is working, that he has a plan. Worship helps us do that. And so church, I want to encourage you right now as your pastor, don't take what we do here in worship lightly. Don't take it lightly. It needs to take precedence in our lives and in our church. It's essential And I want to just say for those of you right now who are watching online, I want to encourage you, if if you are watching online and you can be here presently with us in person, you need to do that. You need to do that. Because it's just not the same, right? How many of you discovered that after COVID? You know, it's just not the same. You should see all the hands going up right now. I mean, you know... So, so there was a point, some of you didn't know this, there was a point during um, COVID time where, where we pre-recorded the sermon. I did the sermon on Thursdays. So I'm actually watching myself preach on Sundays, which is kind of weird, you know, to be honest with you. It's like, oh, that wasn't good, you know. And, uh, but I'm there, you know, on the couch or in bed, I'm in my pajamas, and I'm, you know, and, and, and I'm trying to worship. It's just not the same. It's the distractions, my grandsons, you know, puppy, you know, let's play, you know, I'm like, you know, it's just, it's just not the same. And I just want to say, those of you who are, who are still at home and you could be here, you need to be here. In fact, I, I'm just going to be so bold right now. I think some of you need to get out of your PJs right now. I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> Go get in the shower and come to the 1115 service. All right. <laughs> 
And I mean that and say that in all love, okay? (laughs) So their worship was responsive. Their worship was a priority. It took precedence. Here's the third thing, and I want to make note of about their worship of the early churches, that they worshiped in the good times as well as in the tough times. Turn to Acts 16. In Acts 16, we see Paul and Silas, and they're in Philippi, and God's working. But whenever God's working, there's always going to be opposition. And so there's major opposition that comes, and they are beaten, and then they are thrown into prison. I mean, this is real persecution that's happening, not just name-calling, all right? Real persecution. And I want you to notice what they're doing as they're in prison. Look at verse 25. It says, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loose. This is jailhouse rock literally happening here, all right? Seriously. They're praising, <laughs> it's shaking. There's no sound system. It's God that is shaking the place. But they're singing after they've been beaten and they're in prison. Church, we need to sing in the hard times. We need to sing in the difficult times. We need to sing when the darkness around us seems like it's gaining momentum in our world. We need to sing. We need to praise. We need to to lift up and remind ourselves that Jesus is on the throne. Remember when the children of Israel were released after 400 years of being in bondage to the Egyptians? And after a series of plagues, and finally the last one, you know, Pharaoh says, I've had enough, and they, they, he says, get them out of here, and they leave. And they're maybe a day or two into their journey when they find themselves at the Red Sea. And they're boxed in. They've got Mount Pihira on one side, Mount Migdal on the other side, Their back is to the Red Sea. And the text says, and I think it's so interesting, it says, and they lifted their eyes and they see off in the distance the dust and they know what it is. It's chariots. It's Pharaoh and his army and they're barreling down upon them. And the text says they cried out to the Lord and then started complaining to Moses. And it's kind of one in the same. It's like saying, God, this is your man, and look where he's led us. And they're saying to Moses, have you led us here to die? And God tells Moses, tell all the people to stand still. Literally, it's like to shut up. Seriously. And God parts the water. And they go through, the Bible says, on dry ground. All the, all the you know, million-plus Israelites walk through the Red Sea, and they're just looking like, oh, this is amazing, this is incredible. And then they get to the other side, and here comes the army. You know, you've seen the, the, the you know, Prince of Egypt. You've seen it. You know, they, they, they're coming through, and the waters collapse and consume them. And then it says, and all of Israel is praising God. They're singing a new song. They're dancing and praising and worshiping. And I ask you this question. Wouldn't it have been amazing if they would have started praising God on the other side? It's like they look up, okay, we're boxed in. What are we going to do? I know, let's praise God because we know he didn't lead us here to kill us. He's on the throne. I wonder, they just, they, they're praising God. I bet you the waters just would have parted <laughs> right then. Guys, we, we need to learn to praise God on the other side. 
on the other side. Before the miracle happens. When we see things happen in our lives, in our world, that don't make sense, does it do any good for us to get angry? To start backbiting and pointing fingers and saying, this is your fault? We can do that. That's our natural fleshly tendency. Or we can say, God, you are on the throne and you are sovereign. And some of you might not like this. But we can say, Lord, our hope is not in the political process. It's in you. You see, it's easy for us to praise God and sing hallelujah when everything is going our way. There's no faith in that at all. But it takes real faith to worship even in the tough tough times and even in the hard times. And that leads us to our fourth and final point. That worship has to be a lifestyle, not an activity. Let me say that again. Worship has to be a lifestyle and not an activity. That's why we're told in Romans chapter 12, this will be on the screen, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true worship. True worship is when we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. And here's what that means. It means when we put our dreams and our agendas and our desires and our attitudes on the altar. We die to all of that in saying, Jesus, I recognize that I exist for you. I exist for you to give you glory. I love that chorus that we sing sometimes. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Laying down my life as a living sacrifice to God is something that we are to do every single day. To say, God, I want my life to be a platform upon which you can be glorified. Today, Lord, it's about you. It's about your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And listen, when we start to live that way, you know what happens? When we start to live that way, there's one thing that happens naturally when we come into a space like this. Worship just pours out of us because it's who we are. It's what we've been doing all through the week. Laying ourselves down, our true worship, a living sacrifice. Worship has already been birthed in us as we realize that we exist for him, that our lifestyle is marked by worship. And so when we come into settings like this, we're not preoccupied with the band or, you know, the sound or anything else. We're just excited to worship King Jesus with our church family. And it just moves us in that way. So the worship of the early church was flowing out of this lifestyle of worship. 
And so they could respond in worship in the good times as well as in the bad times. Worship was a priority. It took precedence in their lives. And they, were, they just found themselves constantly responding to who God is and what he was doing in their lives. And my prayer for, for us here at Calvary Vista is that our lives would also be marked by that lifestyle of worship. And when we come into our gatherings, what God is already doing in us, our perception of who he is and that he is on the throne, that that would just flow out of us. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much for your heroic act of leaving heaven in coming to this earth in order to rescue us from all of our sin, all of our shame. That, Lord, you made a way for rebellious sinners to be made right with you, to come into your presence. And, Lord, you tell us because of the work of the cross, to come boldly into your presence. And Jesus, that's what we want to do right now. Right now in this moment. 